0: Hey Scott! Yes, Adam. How would you like me to cook your vitamin patty? Uh, vitamin patty? It's like steak, but more descriptive. That sounds very unappetizing. Just fucking eat it, okay?
1: Coming to you almost live from inside of your favorite recipe. This is the Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. We are your delicious and nutritious hosts. Very nutritious. Now only one of us is delicious and only one of us is nutritious. And I think I'll I think le- you'll be very
0: surprised. I think you will be too. You'll yeah. have to find out for yourself. Yeah, we should do a contest. <laughs> Wait a minute. That might not no, go that, well. I don't think so. That would go very badly, actually. Yeah. It's been a while since we've been in the studio it together. It has. Hello. Hi. Stranger. It's very nice to see you. Yeah. And it's very nice for you, dear listener, to hear us. That's right. At least we hope so. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we uh, had some trouble scheduling the last couple weeks. Yeah. As you well know, we have real lives. We, we do, do not do this professionally. We would love to, but we don't. Yeah. And uh, so we uh, had to move some stuff around. So this episode's a little late. It's a little late, yeah. But we promise you, it will be
0: worth the wait. Ooh, boy. Really have performance anxiety now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A few things have happened since we were last together. Um, The most important one was the Yeggies. (laughs) Yes, that was the most important thing to happen since the last time in Alberta. In Alberta. Since the last time we <laughs> spoke. So May 9th, a whole bunch of people got together, about 240 people, at La Cité Francophone. and uh, we gave away some awards for people's work in social media. It was amazing.
1: And those people do some great work. They do. And uh, you should go to the Yeggies website. Yeggies.com. And you should check out who won, and you should go and support their projects. And then you should also support our project. That's right. Which is ineligible for a Yeggy, That's It's true. But it, would have won every year and every category since the yeggies were established except maybe fashion nope we would have won fashion. we would have found a way yeah by probably <laughs> cheating by just
0: dr- dressing fabulously every time we record it's that has never happened uh, it's just t-shirts and jeans over <laughs> but here but it could usually pants are worn <laughs> which usually is good weird. i will say this uh, one of the great things about the yeggies that we did this year was was that the uh, organizing committee decided to give away a lifetime achievement award for the first time ever. So this is the third time we've done the awards and we decided to give Dave Cornway a lifetime achievement award because he's been blogging at DaveBerta.ca for 10 years. And it's all downhill from here. It's he, Dave like his lifetime has peaked. You're you're done. You're in your I believe you're in your 30s. Um so it's been nice knowing you. Basically. Uh, no, I mean, we had, we had Dave on recently to talk about whether or not there would be a provincial election, which brings me to the second most interesting thing that happened since we last recorded.
1: Which, uh, are, I mean, really, at this point, it's almost old, old news. Yeah. So there's a new government coming in. The old government got thrown out.
0: Unceremoniously fucking tossed out of office. Uh, they lost... Miserably,
1: badly. I kind of want to say actually, and uh, it's, I, and that's not meant as, as a huge slam on on the PC party, but they they had a disastrously bad night. It was, yeah. The whole campaign seemed fraught with missteps. Actually, uh, kinda, yeah, and not even in retrospect. I mean, we, I think we even touched on it the last time we spoke. Yeah, because yeah. we uh, we we talked, we did a little bit of speculation. Yeah, we, we wondered. talked a bit about the upcoming election because it was the big news at the time. And I think even we were a little tentative. I, I, I don't know for sure. I, I haven't gone back and listened to what we said. Yeah. But I think we were kind of on board with the whole, well, maybe the PCs will win a minority.
0: Yeah. I, I remember actually sending a, a Facebook message to a friend of mine who actually works for one of the labor unions in Alberta. And we gave seat projections. And both of us figured that there would still be a PC majority by a slim margin. You know, that they would get, like, I don't know, uh, 44 seats or 45 seats. And yet, here we are. The PCs have far fewer than that. The, they have 10 seats, and they the the party closed both party offices and got rid of every staffer except for one person. Because of the fact that they
1: will not have the sweet... Sweet, sweet cashola? Cashola coming in. Uh, because they didn't even win opposition.
0: <laughs> it's just
1: astonishing.
0: And, when we like, before we started recording, we were talking about this... Um, on election night, even though, despite what all the polls predicted, that the NDP were going to win and win quite significantly, or fairly significantly. Nobody really wanted to believe it. When, when I was sitting there watching the returns come in, I couldn't, I, like you said, you said you were sitting there slack-jawed.
1: I was working in a professional newsroom. Right. And everyone in that newsroom was sitting there slack-jawed. And we'd seen the polls. We'd been reporting on the polls. Yeah. And none of us could quite believe that it was actually going to materialize into an election win for the NDP. And it did. And that's partly because last election, the polls were all saying the Wild Rose were going to win. And they... And they did not. Yeah, that was bad, And the Wild Rose. And uh, so it's kind of like once bitten, twice shy. Exactly. And no one really quite wanted to believe the polls. And um, we spoke to uh, the uh, Main Street polling people. yeah. Uh, Main Street Technologies after the election, and they were kind of at the forefront of the of the polling this election news cycle. They were they were in the news about it, near, and they near were the end
0: of the election. I think they were reporting something almost every day.
1: Yeah, and they were saying the NDP are going to win this, guys. Yeah, like from practically the get-go, they were like the NDP have this election in the bag. And by the end of it, they were like they're going to win a big majority, and everyone's going to be surprised. And everyone was like, no, it's not going to happen. And then it did. And afterwards, they were saying, you know, this. As, as big as an election, obviously, it was for the NDP. Mm-hmm. It was a really big night for us because polling in Alberta, indeed in Canada, um, in the last couple elections, federally and provincially, yeah. has taken a beating. Yeah, And people just don't have faith in it anymore. No, but they, but yeah. they were crossing their T's and they were dotting their I's. And they were going out and they were trying to give the most um, accurate polling data possible. They were trying to deal with the widest sample, they were trying to be as accurate as possible so that when the polling data turned out to be correct, it was kind of a win for their industry and it it earned them back a little bit of that trust, which they had lost.
0: Yeah, and I think that uh, the difference between this election and the one in 2012 uh, is really the fact that there was a hell of a lot more public polling that seemed to be coming out, and to your point, it was because these guys had everything to lose. Yeah, this this was a way for for, for research companies to to vindicate themselves. I think in a little a little bit, yeah. So I don't know if they changed. Like if they'd been dead wrong this time again, oh man, no one would ever listen to a poll again. We'd just go to the po- we'd go to the polls on election day and hope for the best. Yeah, you know. So it was obviously the outcome has been interesting, and of course since then it's it's been a few weeks. Everyone in the media has been speculating about what the hell the NDP is going to do, who's going to be in their cabinet, and, and there have been, you know... And by the time you listen to this episode, you'll know.
1: Yes. Because we're recording on the Saturday before the cabinet gets sworn in, So you, literally tomorrow. Yeah, you tell us. <laughs> Basically, from the future. From the future. Just shout out at your iPhone or your, or your whatever you're listening to us on right yeah, now, yeah. and just tell us how that worked out, because we don't know.
0: I'm not getting anything. No. I'm not getting anything. We can't hear into the future, unfortunately. But there have been a few uh, unfortunate distractions for the NDP, uh, one in the form of a, a young woman from the, the, the constituency of Calgary, Bow, who—her uh, name's uh, Deborah Driever. Dr- Driever? Drever. Drever? Drever? She, Drever. Uh, she was one of those candidates who ran because they wanted a full slate. And it doesn't really sound like the party vetted her very closely. It certainly does not appear that way.
1: No, who knows? And we that's speculation on our part. Yeah, we, we don't, don't know for sure.
0: We don't actually know, but she did have a few unfortunate uh images in her uh Facebook history that that sort of came back to bite her a little bit. And one would presume if the party had
1: vetted her at all, yeah, like a simple search on social media would have turned this stuff up mm-hmm. and they would have been able to quietly deal with it before the election. Uh, rather than have it crop up afterward.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's not the... Well, and so the a so couple of Facebook images, she gets her her hand slapped rightly by premier-designate Notley. Um, and then a couple days before the, we recorded this, this old Instagram photo came out. She t- allegedly taken a photograph of Jim Prentice and Rick McIver in a newspaper ad, marked it up with a pen, making fun of them, and then posted it to Instagram with the... the the unfortunate comment, gay boys. Boys, spelled with a Z. And now uh, Deborah Drever is no longer a member of the NDP caucus.
1: There was some argument uh, that I was privy to, but I was not part of, uh, earlier today, in fact, about that very comment. Uh, arguing whether or not it was homophobic or just ignorant. So
0: here, I, th- I have a thought on that. It is both... And it is the first because it just clearly, sorry, it is the second, it's ignorant, because it just is clearly ignorant. And it is homophobic because the general public may interpret it that way. It doesn't matter what her intentions were. It's now up to the court of public opinion, frankly. And that The court of public opinion is one of the harshest courts. Yeah. I mean, like, so, okay, maybe she didn't mean it to be homophobic. But for some people, I would wager for many people, it is homophobic. It was stupid. She should never have posted it. And here we are, dealing with the fallout. Dave Cornier, Mm -hmm. who you'd mentioned before. uh, A Lifetime Achievement Award-winning Yagi recipient.
1: Indeed. Uh, He wrote uh, a blog post saying, you know, if you are outraged that this, now MLA, has um, a bunch of unfortunate and embarrassing pictures in her social media history, get used to it. Yeah. Because we're now entering an age where more and more of the people who are running for public office uh, are coming from a generation which grew up around people with easy access to social media and smartphones. Yep. And they're going to have embarrassing stuff. Everybody did stupid stuff when they were in their late teens and early 20s. Yeah. And it's the kind of stuff that if you're a politician, you probably don't want turning up. And here's the thing. As meticulous as you might be for scrubbing your Facebook or your Twitter of any stuff that might be described as offensive or controversial, Mm -hmm. the internet does not so easily forgive and it does not so easily forget. Yeah. And it holds on to that stuff even against your best of intentions. And all it takes, all it takes rather, (laughs) uh, is for one of your friends to have a photo up that you didn't know about for it to turn up one day or for someone to... Uh, turn it up in a Google search from some place that happened to have grabbed something from your Facebook you didn't know. Yeah. And then it's all up in the open again. So we kind of just have to get used to the fact that, yeah, we're going to learn more about our politicians' youthful dirty laundry in the future it, and just roll with it. It's going to be interesting to see. It's not to say that I'm excusing anything no. that has come to light this no, time. I did but not I'm, get I'm, that. Just brace yourselves, because this is a situation that's going to happen... Basically every election from now on,
0: and so what I think is going to be really interesting is, you know, what is that? Uh, what is that level? What does the new normal look like? I mean, is it <laughs> for is our it, politicians? Yeah, is it going to be like so? Someone discovers that this person who's running uh, is doing a keg stand, and, and you know, I mean, Peter McKay. There's a photo of Peter McKay from his twenties out there. He's the Justice Minister federally, uh, doing drinking beer or doing something stupid. I mean, it's already started. Well, and I mean.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like that's. What that's, else can you say? That's that's all we. And the thing is, politicians have been doing the stupid stuff already.
0: Oh, I'll tell you when a story. they were kids. Apparently, uh, Lyndon B. Johnson used to just whip out his member and slam it on the table because it was enormous when he wanted to make a point. Sure. Can you imagine doing that in the era of social media?
1: Well, but uh, like, not even as politicians, and I'm sure that. There are many politicians mired in scandal. I don't want to speculate. Some of them are on trial right now. But the the fact is, everyone, my statement holds true. Everyone did stupid stuff when they were teenagers yeah. and when they were in their early 20s. It happens. Yeah. And the, the thing is that the current slate of politicians, of older politicians who've been in office for a while, have had the benefit of not having had that all captured on somebody's smartphone beforehand. Yeah. But they all did it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it's just now we're, we're living in an age where you can see the actual f- proof you with what, your own eyes you know of
0: them having done that he, stupid stuff. Here's something that's really funny is I remember, like, I remember like 10 years ago reading about all the CCTV cameras that were up all over London and people were so furious about being spied on. Who fucking cares about CCTV? Someone has a phone pointed at you right now and you don't even know it. Yeah.
1: Who's, who's behind me? There's a picture of a U.S. Army guy behind you. You It looks like he's taking a selfie. So one could extrapolate, he has a phone, but it is pointed away from you.
0: Or it's in front of me because his arms are so huge. This is an enormous painting.
1: Uh, (laughs) But that is true. Yeah, like Like, we live in... What were
0: we worried about with with government surveillance? You don't need the government to surveil everybody. Because
1: everybody's surveilling everybody else. Mm -hmm. You're surveilling yourself if you're taking selfies and posting them on the internet. Go surveil yourself. And it's... We just... We live in a world where there's very little privacy left, and it's privacy that we've
0: been giving away freely. You know, it, I've got I've got four nephews, two brothers with f- two nef- two kids each, and I when I think about the stuff they're going to have to explain to them, the technology they're going to grow up with, I just feel anxiety. <laughs> like that is not something I want a part of at all. But I'll I'll probably play Candy Crush with them on the iPhone. Maybe. Probably. Probably.
1: Speaking of technologies <laughs> that didn't exist ah, before, yes. that exist now, let's talk to you about Patreon.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> Crowdfunding is a phenomenon. It's interesting, actually. Our our guest today is a young woman who who used a Kickstarter. We've been talking a lot about Kickstarter and Patreon lately, not yeah. just because we're doing it, but because it seems to be the thing. the thing. And so we're going to talk with Leanne Brown a little bit later about how she managed to fund... Uh, a cookbook to, to a, an amazing extent. But we would be remiss if we did not explain what we are doing That's on right. Patreon. Uh, we
1: have a uh, voluntary subscription service. That's right, yeah. We want to continue to provide the Unknown Studio to you and everyone else, and we will continue to do so for free. Yes. But um, we also want to make the show better, and we want to make sure that the show is able to cover its costs. Um, of which there are some. And so uh, we have decided that uh, rather than continue to pound the pavement and try to find and solicit sponsors—
0: Which is very
1: challenging work. um, We're just going to reach out to you and say, hey, if you like what you hear and if you want to help us make the show better, you want to have a little bit of more stake in the show, Mm -hmm. feel free to voluntarily subscribe. I I think you meant vitamin patty. Yes. Not steak. (laughs) Uh, If you want a little bit more vitamin (laughs) patty in the show, uh, voluntarily subscribe for as little as a dollar and as much as a million dollars, which is ridiculous, but we'll take your money. That's ridiculous. Um, You can, uh, monthly, you can subscribe to the show. And and depending on the level that you subscribe at, we throw in some freebies. That's right. Yeah. Things like a ticket to our season finale live show. Which will be happening at the end of June. some merch once we're able to afford more
0: merch. Yep. Uh, things like that, a shout out on the show. Even, uh, yeah, you could, you can basically sponsor the show for an astonishingly low cost of $75 or more per month, for example. Um, <laughs> and, and as Scott mentioned, I mean, we're going to have, well, we have little podcast upgrades, so we'll do, a, you know, a live show. We'll do, uh. Um,
1: no, we are doing a live show, but we would do another live show. That's right.
0: Yeah. Because um, that does actually
1: take some work and, and some money to put yeah. on.
0: But but we'd we really just love for you to to throw a little bit of dough behind our show and uh, if you don't, please keep listening. yeah, because we're gonna keep doing this 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 isn't necessarily
1: the segue into our guests No, it's not we just I just thought that it was a good
0: segue out of talking about high technology because crowdfunding is is a new thing it, it's well, yeah, and it seems like it's really I don't know for whatever reason there's all these crowdfunding campaigns that I, at least I'm aware of. Locally, that are, that seem to be doing really well. Well, uh, we've we've said it before, mm-hmm. and uh, it's going to be made
1: abundantly clear when our guest joins us a little later in the show, that there are a great many Edmontonians out there who have the entrepreneurial spirit and the technological know-how to go out and make their dreams a reality. Yeah. You and I are not necessarily among those people, <laughs> but there not are yet. those people out there. Yeah, not And yet. Uh, they're doing tremendous and... Uh, in some cases, amazing things, uh, using the power of social media and and using tools like Kickstarter or Patreon to be able to to do these things.
0: Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, I'm am excited, and and you know, you we've we've talked about this before, but. Um, And you, so if you follow us anywhere in social media, you're going to see us talking about this a lot more over the summer. Um, because it is a goal of ours to try and get uh, you know some funding so we can make this a bigger part of our lives, yeah, and and spend more time and attention uh, on it. So, um, yeah, it's it's I'm pretty excited about it. I am too. We're excited people, we are very excited. Listen to how excited we are. That's the sound of excitement you just heard. No, we are. Um, and, you know, speaking of technology, uh, I saw Uber was back in headlines again in Edmonton um, because now apparently the taxi lobby is going to try to have an injunction filed against them. Yep. They were so irritated by the inability of the city to to get it right when the city filed for an injunction against Uber. The judge uh, in that hearing essentially said, "You you're targeting the wrong Uber. There's Uber Edmonton is a marketing company. You want to talk to." Where they're based in Holland, and so uh, it sounds like cab drivers are really frustrated by this, uh, obviously. And and there's you know I I mean I've I've ridden Uber before, um, I've taken cabs here before. Um, I think I think there has to be a way for us to figure this out to level the playing field for everybody, because right now Uber, to be fair, isn't playing by the rules. No, they're not, but. Uh, people wouldn't be using
1: the service if there wasn't a demand for an alternative to the taxi companies because people are unhappy and unsatisfied with the taxi service in Edmonton. That's right. So, so there needs to be, something needs to give. And, we'll and, s- and I think it's something needs to give on both sides. I think there so There needs too. to be a way for ride-sharing services, if, if not necessarily Uber, for some sort of ride-sharing service to exist in the city, mm-hmm. but f- play by the rules. And for the taxi service to be able to, I don't know, provide better value yeah, to people. And and that I think that that ride-sharing competition is good for the taxi service. But
0: you're absolutely right. They need to play ball. The, the they inter- need to do it, they need to do it right. Totally. The the interesting thing about the way that the taxi companies are approaching this is that it's kind of the same as other industries, right? Like rather than try to adjust their practices to compete they're seeking legal. Uh, they they just want to crush the alternative. Yeah, just they make just want sure to that, wipe it out. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's unfortunate that that this is having to happen at the, frankly, at the expense of consumers. Yeah, you know. But it's actually for people who are freaking out about it, it's totally normal. This is totally normal, unfortunately. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, because the, the city of Edmonton is committed to writing. Legis not legislation, but bylaw that will allow for ride sharing, sometime soon. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's coming up in the fall. It's you, on the agenda. That's right. Yeah. So 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 I guess that we're going to be hearing more from Uber. But you know what really interests me, Scott, is the fact that I don't think that um, uh, I don't think the rules around traffic and and transportation or something the city really can handle. I think I think part of what Uber needs to do is actually lobby the the province because I think some of those rules need to change. That also is probably the case. Yeah. So, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see what happens. Um, right now if you're taking Uber, you're riding a bandit taxi. You are, and it is technically
1: against city bylaws and if you were pulled over by a bylaw officer, uh you could be fined. Yeah. As could the driver exactly. and the car could be towed. Mm-hmm. Um, And then you're not getting to that party on time. Nope, you are not. Now, that said, the city's made it pretty clear that it is virtually impossible for their bylaw officers to keep up with that. So the chances of you actually being pulled over by a bylaw officer are slim to none. And the Edmonton Police Service have said, on record, this is a bylaw issue. The police will not do anything about it at all. You know what? Period. They've got enough to worry about, to be perfectly honest. Um, Which... Did not sit well with the taxi companies. They would very much like the Edmonton Police Service to step in and start
0: helping out. Well, and that's why th- that's why they need to compel the court, yep. to do something. Then you can get the police involved. Yeah, because then it is a criminal matter. It is not a bylaw matter. That's right. So- and
1: the the taxis are arguing that it the bandit cabs because they're not registered as basically as a business. Yeah. That they are uh, violating effectively the Traffic Safety Act, yeah, because and they're they're not properly
0: insured, and, and that s- that would and that would indeed be a criminal matter. Yes, uh, that's absolutely true, and um, you know, a lot of the drivers probably don't have commercial insurance, which is so they're running afoul of their insurance company. Yep. I guess technically that's fraud. Maybe? Maybe I don't know. I'm I, I'm not sure. Actually,
1: we're, we're in weird, nebulous legal limbo because yeah. Scott
0: and I. I don't know if you guys know this. We're not lawyers, and uh, <laughs> this is and
1: this is a matter that is still before the courts. There's no, to the best of my knowledge, no legal precedent. No, that's been established on a lot of this stuff, and therefore, eh. and and
0: you know, Uber's going through this in virtually every municipality in North America. Kinda. They they were booted out of Calgary. They were. They and were straight up thrown out. I think they're if they're not booted out of Vancouver, I think they might be. If they're not, they're in the process of being booted. I think they were booted out of London, uh, yeah. England.
1: But part of the reason that this is happening is not necessarily because these cities are um, just against the idea of a ride-sharing No, driver. no. It's because... And this was something that we brought up before. It's because of Uber's business It's the way they do it. It's the way they do it. The fact that they strong arm their way in, and then they just fly in the face of the rules rather than work with the municipalities. And that, frankly, that sits wrong with the city. And it sits wrong with me because I think it shows disrespect. It shows disrespect for the city of Edmonton for them to not abide by the city of Edmonton's wishes. And yeah, okay, there might be some people using the service,
0: but that doesn't mean that they're still not, you know, thumbing their nose at the city. Yeah. it's You know what's really interesting is if you go on, like, the Edmonton subreddit and read about what, what people have to say about Uber, I, w- I wouldn't say that it's evenly divided. I think there's more people in favor of Uber than are opposed. But um, but the, the main message that I get is that taxis need to do better and we you know we mentioned it earlier i mean it it was interesting when this this story broke about the taxi lobby seeking an injunction rather than letting the city handle it because um one of their spokespeople said uh weekend rides have decreased for for cabs in edmonton and then you know someone on reddit said there's no way that's true because i still had to wait two hours for a cab last saturday so, I mean, I don't know. I don't know who to believe. I mean, it's in everyone's best interest to paint the bleakest picture for themselves uh, in order to try and you know, get people to do what they want. But I don't know. I have to admit, I still really like the convenience of Uber. We'll have to wait until the fall yeah. to see how it uh, ultimately shakes out. But I am feeling peckish. Uh, I am too. To totally change the subject. We, um, we
1: should... Look at perhaps food. Yeah, let's. And uh, we should probably find food that is inexpensive because we are not wealthy, man. No,
0: no, by any not. stretch. No, just one look at our Patreon campaign <laughs> can can vouch that. Yeah, I mean, so maybe we need something that is both good and cheap. I think our guest coming up just after the break might be able to help us. Well, I'm that. very excited about that. So why don't we go to break right now and then we'll come back with uh, Leanne Brown. Sounds good. Sounds good and cheap. Ooh, I see what you did there. I think we're both pretty excited about our guest today. We've been trying to have her on for months. (laughs) The first time (laughs) we asked her, she shut
1: us down. (laughs) <laughs> because she had more important
0: things to do.
1: I just
2: wanted to be here with you guys in person. There that you was go. All. That
1: That's all it was. So it the, would yeah. have been a phone interview
0: before. Yeah. The lovely voice you're hearing is that of Leanne Brown. She's the she's a cookbook author, and she's written uh, the cookbook Good and Cheap, which was a Kickstarter project. We'll get into that a little bit later. But, but before we started recording, you said that cookbook author doesn't really cover what you do.
2: <laughs> no, not at all. Well, it does. I mean, I think it's the main thing that I do, but people always... Uh, when i introduce myself and we talk about it they sort of say like oh so but what's your day job you know what do you really do
0: you couldn't possibly <laughs> and just do like, that so cookbook
2: author so um, what is your day job essentially so good and cheap the cookbook that you mentioned is more than just a cookbook. Um, it started out, it has this really crazy story. It started out as my thesis um, for my master's degree in food studies, which is another thing that people need to explain to them because it's a weird uh, field of study that has only existed for about 12 years. Yeah,
0: when I hear food studies, I think of something like a uh, dietitian or something.
2: Right, yeah. And it's actually, it's close to that. It's sort of in the same zone. We work with a lot of people in nutrition and public health, but it's the other parts that are a little bit more nebulous and sort of, you know, the cultural parts of eating, uh, the policy parts of eating. I was really interested in the policy. So like farm policy, food systems, like how does food get from one place to another? How do we feed ourselves? How do we feed ourselves better? What are the problems that we're dealing with? How do people actually eat? Because I'm sure you don't think of yourselves as ingesting Minerals and vitamins when you're eating, you think of yourself as eating... A hamburger. A hamburger, yeah. And so we sort of try to talk about that kind of stuff.
0: So when I say I'm going to have this vitamin patty with ketchup, <laughs> that's not cool? <laughs> I'm not supposed to say that?
2: I mean, you can. I think actually everyone in nutrition would love it if you talked that way. <laughs> I'll just have oh, a vitamin patty. This so easy. Yeah. <laughs> now, so
0: you did this,
1: this thesis. Yes. And it was on essentially what the cookbook is about, which yeah, is well, how the, to get... Nutritional value on the cheap.
2: Sort of. Yeah, it actually was the cookbook. It was the first version. So because, as I said, the um, the field of food studies is so young, there's no sort of specific way in which you have to do your thesis. So we're encouraged to basically do whatever we want. And I was like, I'm going to do this crazy project. <laughs> and it took me, you know, like a year or so. And uh, I basically made a cookbook for, for my thesis, and then and it was sort of the first version wasn't as good. Um, I mean, I was pretty proud of it, but um, it existed only online. And initially, I thought, you know, after I graduated, I started to uh, approach different nonprofits in New York and um, see if they would be interested in getting it out there. So. Good and Cheap is a cookbook for people who are on food stamps, specifically, um, but really anyone who is lower income or just generally sort of wants to get an idea of how to feed themselves well for very little, which I think is something that appeals obviously to a tremendous number of people. Totally. Um, so uh, I thought that this would be especially useful for a lot of nonprofits, um, and so I started to to kind of pitch it at, at different people, like, hey, look at this. This is a great resource. I think it might really be helpful in some of your programs. And people were into it, but not... No one would sort of really help me take it out there. Um, so when you, sort of understandably, but...
0: When you first created it, um, you you put it out there through, like, Reddit, right?
2: No, that's what happened after. So okay. I'll get to that. Okay. It's exciting. Sorry, it's I, don't, exciting I didn't, mean to, didn't yeah. mean to jump again. <laughs> no, <laughs> Car- no, no. Carry on. Well, so, so my first line of thinking was really like, oh, this w- this is for, you know, frontline workers, like nonprofits, and um, really trying to get it out to exactly the sorts of people I had envisioned and who I had worked with during my research. And I quickly realized that I needed to just do it myself. Um, and the way that I did that was I just, I made a website and I just put it up there and I said, all right, well, there it is. And I started to develop some content, but I hadn't really, like, launched it in a major way. yeah. Um, and really soon after, so this was the end of March of 2014, mm-hmm. I made the website, and then by the end, by mid-April, or I think end of April, I it went viral on Reddit.
0: It, well, you actually made something go viral.
2: Yeah, oh, so I, you made I still something have that no idea how. You
0: made something that went viral. Just, so how did Reddit kind of catch wind of it? Yeah. Don't
2: ask me. Really? Really, I'm not sure. It was, so, well, like, Reddit is anonymous, and so the person who posted about it is anonymous to this day. Like, I've reached out to them, and I know their handle, but I don't know who they are or why. They just thought it was good. They were like, this is great, and posted about it, and it happened to have the weird luck of virality that day, and people were really excited about it. And it was funny, when I first got home, Uh, and saw, like, all these emails and, like, that my website was going crazy. I was, like, and saw that it had been on Reddit. I was so freaked out. Okay, so
0: what were you doing? Were you, like, out, like? I was
2: out. I was at work during the day (laughs) because I had had a job job. at the time. Yeah, Yeah, having my day job. (laughs) And uh, I came home, and I was, like, what is happening? And I was so nervous at first that it was, like, you know, like a bunch of mean Republicans, like, pulling it apart and, like, everyone just being, like, crazy and angry, like, up poor people shouldn't have free cool stuff. (laughs) I don't know what it would be, but I was like so nervous. And instead it was the opposite. It was like some of the most heartwarming messages ever. And that has continued, you know, to this day I get, um, I get amazing emails from people and, and messages from people saying how much it means to them. Um, just that it exists, whether it's directly to help them or because of some experience they've had in their life or for a friend or whatever. And, uh, I was totally blown away. And all these people were talking about, like on Reddit, on the thread, people were having this incredible discussion. It wasn't just like, cool, nice to have a free cookbook. It was like, this free cookbook has so much useful information in it that I'm gonna really use, and that could be useful for so many people. And everyone was starting to talk and share, like sometimes like very personal stories. And, and from a, it was also really cool to see, you know, someone would argue like, oh, she missed this thing. And then someone else be like, no, she didn't. Here's where she wrote about it. You didn't read the book. And I was like, whoa, people are arguing about my work and I don't even have to do anything.
0: So you're, you're the recipient of these lovely emails. You're on Reddit. What, uh, what starts going through your mind? What happens next?
2: Well, so because uh, it actually, 50,000 people downloaded it in that first night.
0: One night. That's amazing.
2: Yeah. So and it like the website wasn't happy and was like it stopped working and everyone was like where is it how come I can't download it anymore I was like uh, just give it a minute and so um,
0: I have to ask because I know your husband is very technologically he oriented out. yeah was he was he, was he excited
2: <laughs> he was so excited of course he was so excited but then
0: he was like shit now I have to now I have to do some hosting stuff to make it work yes
2: exactly he was like how are we gonna get this back up for everyone and I was like please deal with it Dan because I don't know how to
0: deal with this <laughs> I'll just be over here eating yeah, pizza I was like, oh,
2: help me. And uh, so, yeah, basically what it made me realize is that there because I had, you know, been excited about it, but I was feeling a little bit like maybe people don't really want this. Maybe this is something that I thought people needed, but maybe they don't. And it was just this moment of like, no, they really do. You just have to get it out there. Yeah. And maybe the way I was thinking wasn't the right way.
1: I was actually saying uh, before – when we were chatting before you arrived that um, – the idea seems so brilliant to me (laughs) that I am surprised that it took you to make it happen. And that's not a slam on you. That's just like that nobody thought of it beforehand.
2: No, I agree. Well, I think the things people have thought about, and it has existed in some form or other, but somehow the particular way that I made it um, really hit people. And and I think people finally listened. Um, Part of it is that, so it's hard to talk about but it's very visual. It's a very, very visual. That's cookbook. right. You, you really committed a lot of time to photography.
0: That's
2: true. Um, sure. And really attractive. And I think the thing is, there's a lot of, of things that probably pop into your heads when you think about food stamps and cheap food. Like, what are the first things that you think of?
0: I literally think of stamps, like the yeah. email. Like a, a book of right, stamps. Right,
2: yeah. Well, and you're Canadian. So that's one of the weird things is, like, the food stamps program is not a Canadian thing, which is one of the reasons I was really interested in it. So the food stamps program is actually properly called the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. And basically, if you have uh, – if you're very low income uh, – what's
0: What's the threshold, do you know?
2: There's different thresholds depending on family size, depending on if you have a certain type of a dependent or like there's a million different factors that go into it. Mm-hmm. But basically, if you qualify for it, they try to either give you enough just uh, money on this little card, a little electronic benefit transfer card. It's like a little credit card, essentially, at the beginning of the month to get you sort of through. And it's about $4 per person per day.
0: That's what that's what's available, really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: And so this can be a huge and amazing thing for forty-six million people in the United States are on food stamps.
0: So that's that's nearly one sixth of the population of the. There's
2: thirty-five million people in Canada. That's fucked. That is so fucked up, isn't it?
0: I mean, that isn't to say that this country doesn't have problems like that, but
2: no, but it's really significant. Wow. Yeah.
0: Wow. So.
2: And a lot of the time, it's people who are working already, but you know, are working these jobs with like absurd um either you know terrible terrible low minimum wage minimum, basically. yeah super minimum wage jobs sometimes like two people per family and yet or sometimes even working more than one job i mean it's crazy
1: yeah. and so then there's a the question is how do you get value right out of that four kind dollars. of additional out of four exactly, dollars per person exactly
2: per four day. dollars a day like you know, we pay $4 for coffee, right? Like, I think that's the thing is people sort of go like, oh my God. Um, and, but the fact is, and, and something that I um, got sort of excited about during my, uh, during my studies was realizing, um, so something that, you know, just about anyone who works as like, even, you know, a line chef, like anywhere in the city will know that it's your basic ingredients. To make a dish are incredibly inexpensive. It's just like the way that you bring them together. You can do them in ways that can. Uh, that's what adds so much value. Yeah. That's why things cost a lot. And so basically, I was always like, well, if you can cook, you can make. So you can make something decent out of four dollars a day, um, and you can actually make you know reasonably healthy, satisfying, you know, emotionally satisfying food. Um, out of this stuff and not sort of have the terrifying experience of what so many people have, which is like starting out the month, like, woohoo, great. Okay. Okay. Getting into the last month and, you know, opening up the fridge and being like, well, it's saltines for the next couple days. And, you know, and these are people with, I mean, there's of the 46 million, 16 million of the people are children. Jesus. Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay. So, you've got this book on your website, which is still on your website, by the way, and is still free to download.
2: Yep. Absolutely.
0: Then something happens and you decide to launch a kickstarter. So so yeah. tell us a little bit about the decision to do that.
2: Well, so that sort of it really came out of the reddit thing and then and it ended up going on tumblr and to sort of various parts of the internet that are nebulous and strange to me. Difficult to understand. Yeah. yeah. Well, just sort of kind like of terrifying. Happening. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes use their power for good. Well, <laughs> it's like I would see them coming to my website looking at the like the back end seeing that they were coming from all these places and I was like what the heck is going on. <laughs> um and basically what I realized was that um Obviously, it was great to have a cookbook that is a PDF that's freely available because everyone can get that. At the same time, a lot of the people who I really want to be able to help may not have consistent access to a computer. Yeah. Um, and even if they do, um, they may just not be on Reddit or be on the, at the right place at the right time. And so I wanted to create some physical cookbooks that people could give out. Right. You know, and that was sort of what I was hearing from nonprofits like, oh, on the internet, that's worthless. And um, like, not really, <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah. a little bit, of, like a little bit kind of visualizing well, that.
0: Their message is probably just like, well, I have this batch of clients. Mm-hmm and I know that they don't have internet access or yes. that they're, of a, uh, they're a type of person who doesn't even know what the internet is. Right. There are still people yeah. like that.
2: Or they really just thought, like, this is nice, but people won't be that into it. And I think that was what was so delightful was to see how many people really were into it. And it's not going to be for everyone, but it's for, even if it's like 1% of <laughs> 46 million, I'm like, yes, please. Yeah. You know? Oh, my God. Like that's so it's worth huge. doing. Yeah. So, uh Basically, I wanted to create physical cookbooks, but I was like, well, you can't do that for free. You have to have money to do that. So I thought that uh, I talked with Dan and uh, mostly Dan, a few other people, and just thought about how should, we, um, how should we do this? And we sort of stole the idea from, you know, Tom's and all these other guys, the buy one, give one kind of thing. So uh, we did the Kickstarter with that kind of a model. We did, like, a bunch of other little prizes and stuff like that. But it was, that was essentially, the idea was we will do a print run and we will y- leverage people who's, people who can afford its money to give away as many copies of the book as we possibly can. Right. Cause that was always the point was like, I want this to get out to people who need, it should be, it's a cookbook for people who can't afford a cookbook. Mm-hmm. So that needs to be, still freely available, even when it's physical.
1: And uh, how much were you looking to raise in your Kickstarter campaign? $10,000. And how much did you actually <laughs> raise in your Kickstarter campaign? Uh,
2: over 144000 Okay. So yeah. hang on. Hang on. I have to, <laughs> I have to ask.
0: 10000 seems like a reasonable goal. And in, on your website, you say, to print a small batch. Yeah. What were your, like, I mean... There's all kinds of strategies behind the the targets you set for Kickstarter. Yeah. so what what did you actually think would happen?
2: Well, for me, I thought 10000 $10, dollars I could cook. I could print basically. That was enough to sort of do a print run and not probably lose money, okay. um like probably break even and be able to give away a lot of books. and I could manage it like five hundred. It was like, okay, I could have those in my apartment. I could work with someone local and deal with it. but, as the, obviously, the, it was a much more popular idea than I, <laughs> than I initially thought it would be, and the and the other thing that happened very quickly was so as after thirty six hours or something like that, it it reached ten thousand, which is and amazing. I was getting, by the it was way, so exciting! Yeah, I mean, I was insane. Like every day of the Kickstarter was different and amazing and like exhausting, and I didn't sleep like the entire time. <laughs>
0: was it a was it a thirty day campaign or a sixty day campaign? It was
2: a th- it was like 38 days. It was a kind of weird. We didn't want it. We wanted to do 30 days, but we didn't want it to end on the July long weekend because that's huge in, you know, 4th of July and For we sure. didn't want it to end then, so we extended it by one week after Okay. That. Yeah. Okay.
0: So $144,681 and over almost 6,000 backers. Yeah. That's amazing. That was the
2: really... Neat thing was, it was so many small donations. And that was so that was the thing that sort of I quickly realized was I had this vision of like, we'll give them all away in New York. And there were people who were donating from all over America, all over Canada, Japan, Brazil, like all England, Australia. Holy shit. And I was like, I can't just give them all away in New York. That's <laughs> are, not fair. What are we going to do? How, but then I was like, how am I going to do this? Yeah. 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 The distribution, like, I have no idea what I'm doing, you know. (laughs) Um, And so Dan and I were, we talked about it a bunch, and we basically came up with this idea that we would um, give the books away through nonprofits. So we set up a Google Form sheet and basically said, you can apply, um, basically just tell me who you are, tell me why you would like the books and how you would use them, um, and I will... Not necessarily give them to you, but you're sort of in the running. Wow. And uh, so that was sort of the simple way to do it. People would self-identify. And I figured that self-identification meant these are really people who are, gonna, are excited about the book and really, like, get it. Um, and, you know, and these people were popping up constantly. You know, like, I remember right after the Reddit thing, I ended up working with some people from the food trust in Philadelphia, and they were, like just so into this idea. And they were the people that I was kind of looking for myself when I was out there. But I, it was so much more effective to simply put it out there and let people identify as understanding and appreciating the project than, uh, than for me to sort of continue to just do these meetings and pitch it at people. And I, I feel like it's because the work speaks so much better for itself than when I sort of try to convince people why it matters.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Well, and uh,
1: reaching out to people can sometimes seem kind of like soliciting. And, and yes, there might be that implication, yes. well, she's trying to sell me something. Mm. Whereas if you just kind of put it out there and people find it on their own, they're going to be much more I think you're really onto something yeah.
2: there because I think that m- by giving it away for free, I got so much more – people immediately trusted that my intentions were pure, I think.
0: Cool. Yeah, and they were, of course. Yeah,
2: they were, but like why should anyone think that? You know, and so you do sort of have to prove that a little bit.
0: So, um how at $10,000, 500 books in your your apartment in New York <laughs> manageable. Yeah. You obviously had to print a significant number. And I remember seeing a couple of the photos that you posted on on the Facebook page mm-hmm. that you created, which by the way has over eight thousand likes, <laughs> uh, which is amazing. And I remember when when uh, you reached out to me and Skip and Jen yeah. got in touch with me. So so friends of ours from the Gateway days were helping to promote what Leanne was doing. Yeah, which it was so super cool. cool.
2: It was honestly like I just cried like every day for the first little while, like just reaching out. to – No, really, it was like reaching out to friends and everyone just being so supportive and sweet to me and like. Offering so much help because they were like, "This is a great project. We're just going to jump in and help you." It was like I was just like emotionally overwhelmed every day.
0: So I assume that you had some some help with with all the books that you need. yeah, what did you guys wind up doing?
2: Um, so we ordered forty thousand books.
1: Holy shit. That's significantly larger print run <laughs> yeah. than what you were
0: expecting. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so a bestseller in Canada is five thousand books. so you in the states, I actually should know that, but I don't know <laughs> what it is. I mean, it. But wow. it's like a lot more.
1: That's crazy. Well, I, have, I have some friends who have the book on their shelf. Oh, yeah. yes. And they have, like, I've gone over to their house and they were like, oh, yeah, we made this out of uh, the Good and Cheap cookbook. And I was like, I know the oh, person who wrote that. That makes book. me so happy. <laughs> so there you it's go. So cool. And it was really good, too. for the record. So, so, so.
0: 40,000 books. What, where did you store them? How quickly did you ship well, them out?
2: So we had um, seven, a little over 7,000 that had to go directly to all the Kickstarter backers and the people who. Had to order them, ordered them. So those had to come to New York. The rest stayed at our printer in Wisconsin. So about 33,000 okay. stayed there. So yeah, we had, oh yeah, and that's one of the cool things about ordering books. It's like you order 40,000, they're like, oops, we made, we had more paper. You get more than that. So we had almost 41,000. Oh, nice. Isn't that weird and neat?
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, more more for people who need them. Exactly,
2: yeah. exactly. We were able to just give away more. But uh, so we had 8,000 books that were, uh, that came to New York, and there was a period where the the books were on a truck coming to New York, and I didn't have a place for them. Oh and God. I was, like, panicking. In Wisconsin, Just, like, all
1: hmm. the time. Wait. Will 8,000 books fit in my apartment? Hmm. I mean. That
2: was what I was thinking, except that there was no way. Like, we're on the second floor. <laughs> like, okay, imagine this. Like, a truck full of 8,000 books. It's e- actually really difficult to even imagine what 8,000 books looks like. It's so much bigger than you think. Yeah, I bet. It's so big. It's awful. <laughs> and, uh... So they were on this truck, and think about a guy driving a truck full of books to your apartment. They're not going to, like, help you unload nope. and bring in boxes, box after box after box after box of heavy books up the stairs, right? You have to have a loading dock. You have to have these sort of basic things, which we yeah. have. not um, have. We were actually so lucky. So Dan, you mentioned earlier, my, my husband works at Google. And we went uh, – we worked with a number of other – I had, like, some sort of okay options, like people who had, like, a larger office space. and Maybe it was going to be okay. But Google ended up – like, their building manager people were like, we'll accept the books for you and just put them in this server room we're not using. And you can use it for the weekend and, you know, bring all your volunteers in here and just package them up.
0: Oh, my God. That's amazing.
2: Isn't it? It, like – Blew my mind. It meant it was so funny because they were like, "It's no big deal. We bring in like a bazillion cans of pop every day. Like it's nothing. (laughs) It's nothing to us." And yet, it was like so huge for us. It made it possible.
1: There was um, this is mildly related. Okay. Um, There was an event today at the time that we're recording this with the local Nepalese community, and they had been doing some fundraising for the earthquake. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, they had raised uh, a great deal more money than they had been looking for. And um, the uh, president of the Nepalese community, and I apologize, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, said something uh, along the lines of, in a time of need, even a token gesture of aid can be a tremendous help. And that's basically what that reminded me of. It's Google's going, this is trivial for us, but... At that time, it was the biggest thing in the it world. It was
2: huge. I mean, for them, it wasn't a big deal. For us, it was a really, really big deal. Cool. It was so great. And so we got to use this giant server room. And we had, uh, I sort of put out the call to anyone in the area. I had friends and, um, you know, a few people actually who were Kickstarter backers who happened to sort of be around there came and helped us package all these books over weekend. And it was an epic experience. And you guys know Dan. So he organized the stuff very, very, very well. Oh, my God. And
0: that must have been amazing and, like, sort of upsetting to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Poor he's, Dan. He's it so was, meticulous.
2: He was so... Well, it was, you know... Tr- it was really... You know, we had to package up almost 8,000 books in one weekend. Or I think we just 6,000 that weekend. Oh, my God. And just making sure, you know, that the, the right stuff was in the right... And, you know, some people ordered two books, and so we had to make sure that the system was... Very difficult to manage, but Dan figured it out. I and, mean, you know, we had, like, very few mistakes. That's Incredibly. awesome. Incredibly, yeah. That's
0: so good. And I'm looking at the map on your website of where they all went. It's yeah. amazing. It's amazing when you well, look so at, like... so
2: that map is actually um, the books that were donated and that were bought at cost. So this is oh. to all the nonprofits. If that map was full of all the people who just bought one, it would be even crazier.
0: And then you have a list of all the nonprofits here. Yeah. It's incredible. Actually, if
2: you click on any of the flags... Yeah. They come up, they'll tell you the names of the...
0: Good old fusion dates. tables. <laughs> um <laughs> right, By exactly. the way, w- the stuff that we're looking at is available at leannebrown.com. Um,
2: yeah, I love that map. I'm so proud of that map. Whenever I do a talk, I always bring it up and I'm like, check this out. Over so, 600 nonprofits.
0: Amazing. So let's yeah. talk about that because ne- uh, obviously you are, by day, a cookbook writer, <laughs> but you're obviously out there doing other things as well. Yeah. So So where... What are some of the other activities that have come out of all of this?
2: Well, so people, I mean, people ask me to do all kinds of things. um, And I've started, at first I couldn't really manage it. um, But, well, so the big thing is that the second part of the project, so the first, the Kickstarter project was really, really successful. As a result of that, I had a few different uh, publishers approach me. And when I first saw that, I was like, okay, like, thanks, but why would you want... Like, I don't want to just make a cookbook. I want to give away cookbooks. (laughs) So why would you be interested? Um, But it turned out that a couple of them, and the one that I ended up working with, uh, want... So I'm now working with Workman Publishing, putting out a second edition of Good and Cheap, which has more recipes, you know, more information. It's bigger, it's better. (laughs) And uh, it has a new design, not hugely different from the old one, but just prettier, professional.
0: I really wish you were calling it Gooder and Cheaper. (laughs) I know, (laughs) That'd be incredible. Oh. But, but I and think then and then the threequel with goodest and cheapest. Goodest yeah. And <laughs> but I think Good and Cheap second edition works just yeah, as well. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so this is this is coming out this summer, um, and it's published by Workman and it will be the full Tom Shoes model. So like you can order it on Amazon right now. You can pre-order it and one will be donated to someone who needs it. Cool. So basically like the system I described to you where I'm I and Dan are distributing everything is not very efficient, Sure, kind of sucks. <laughs> it's handy <laughs> so, to have yeah. a professional distributor yeah, on. I was very tired at the end of it. Um, so yeah, now to to actually be into like the real book selling system, because the other thing, I didn't sell anything like through regular channels, it was only through my website on the Kickstarter. Yeah. So now it will be like a regular book. Um, so the potential will be, we can give away so many more books this way. So I'm <laughs> thrilled. And so that is coming out this July.
0: July fourteenth,
2: and I'm going on uh, a book tour, like all over the place.
0: How many cities?
2: Twenty-three, I believe.
0: All in the United States? Toronto. Well, I mean, that's I the know. only the only city in Canada. No, I'm trying it to. Really I'm
2: trying very, very hard to convince them. It would be ridiculous for me not to come to Edmonton. Yeah, I
0: think you'd. Um, uh, I
2: think it's going to happen. I just have to work with them a little bit more.
0: Now I'm look. I'm looking at the pre order page on Amazon.ca. It's got a 2015 Amazon.ca First Novel Award. It does? That's that's what it says right here. So if I click learn more... What the heck? It says... Um, oh, maybe, maybe this is a promotion for other stuff.
2: Yeah. I don't... I Cause, haven't cause heard about it's that not one. a novel.
0: Yeah, it's weird. Just yeah, yeah that would be
2: really awful. weird. It's it's very strange. But it did win an award, if that's what you were yes. talking about. So yeah. it did win um, the Judge's Choice Award at the uh, IACP Awards, which is uh, the International Association for Culinary Professionals. And it's sort of like... People describe it as like the Golden Globes of cookbooks. The cookbooks, yeah. That's so awesome, That's dude! Really awesome. I was shocked. <laughs> wow. Yeah.
0: Wow. Just amazing. It was really
2: cool to be there. I got to be there and like had. I was really surprised. And, uh, and I had to go off and make a speech, and I have no idea what I said. Did you get to
1: <laughs> rub shoulders with culinary famous people?
2: I did. I did. And everyone was really nice. And, like, people had heard about the book. Like, people who were amazing and my heroes and stuff. It was, it was weird.
0: Didn't uh, – and, and you also won, um, uh, like, a t- – I can't remember what the title of it was. Was it, like, a top 40 thing? Oh, yeah. In, in, in I was like,
2: – yeah, in the top uh, – 30 under 30 food and wine uh, for Forbes. Which is astonishing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Forbes is huge. Yeah, they got me just before I turned 30, I got it. That's great. I was like, good thing you did this this week, guys. Yeah. So
0: uh, other than like more recipes, uh, what else is going to go into the new book?
2: Um, More information just, so every time, so the first time, like the thesis version, the version that I then put out on the website was slightly changed, and then uh, I added uh, twenty recipes to it uh, through the Kickstarter because one of the reward levels was the was to buy a recipe. Okay, and so I would make a recipe based on someone's suggestion or a great idea, whatever. Um, and so I added twenty new recipes to that book, and just like people write to me all the time. People are discussing this all over the place. And it's been incredible for me to sort of learn the ways people use this and be able to sort of respond to that. So we just changed, like, I was really surprised at how much people were into, like, the tips and tricks for shopping and, like, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I just added more of that and tried to just respond to what uh, what people wanted and uh yeah
0: it's it's awesome i'm just taking a quick look at your facebook page and y- you know you you frequently post images of stuff that you're making and the responses you get are great
2: they're so sweet yeah except I love for, my except facebook for th- page it's like mostly like little old ladies being <laughs> really nice
0: except for this one dude who hates mangoes oh
2: yeah that guy's a little bit angry but that's okay <laughs> i don't think it's personal <laughs> that's great just now in like addition mangoes.
0: to a second edition
1: are you working on anything else
2: well, I'm working um, – I am working on a bunch of things, like, uh, to do with the the Good and Cheap Project, like, working with all the nonprofits, I try to kind of, like – I want to tell their stories, and I'm really interested in just the whole um, – all the issues around hunger. Like, I want being – and like having a difficult time not to be this like shameful secret that everyone holds but to be something that people talk openly about and Mm -hmm. so i've been trying to do that i've been speaking at different conferences and um going around doing workshops and little things like that wherever i can um and then probably and then the reason i'm in edmonton actually is i'm working on uh this other cookbook which is going to come out next year which features uh Edmonton restaurants and Ooh. a couple of recipes from each restaurant. It's the next in the series. They've had done Toronto cooks and Vancouver cooks and Calgary cooks. So obviously we need one. It's water. our turn. Hello. And yeah. I, I, can't,
0: I can't think of anyone better to do
2: it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'm also working with Tina Faze, who is a local food writer and is a really fabulous person. Yes. We get along really well. And we also kind of look alike. A little bit, which yeah. It's is kind of fun. Yeah, <laughs> some kind of same color hair for sure. We can sure. pretend to to be each other
0: Yeah, Tina, we need to. Tina's one of the food columnists on CBC Edmonton as well. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Um, I, I was telling Scott before we started recording that the one of the, and I told you this the other day, one of the most interesting things for me about what you're doing is that it is, and, and I know you, you couldn't believe this when I said it, it's precisely what you set out <laughs> to do. I remember before you left for New York, yeah. uh, I, I, I think you had applied at NYU, and I don't know if you were in yeah. yet, but you told me, I want to teach people how to cook together and eat together, and that is effectively what you're doing. Yeah. And and, and by the way, for for those of you um, who who don't know this, this Good and Cheap was not Leanne's first cookbook. You oh did, yeah, that's true. You wrote one with uh, with Sarah, with Sarah Chan. Yeah,
2: I did. I also did one uh, on my own that year when I was sort of like trying to figure out what I was doing. Uh, after uh, I was I worked at City Hall for a while. I made a cookbook for myself, and then I made a cookbook with Sarah. Yeah. It was our bicycling around town cookbook. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, before I went to NYU. And, yeah, it was always something I did. I think when you told me that, I was like, it took me a little while to sort of take it in because I was just sort of shocked that I'd been able to pull it off. <laughs> like, I, I can't believe that really happened. I always thought that I would probably end up working in, like, working on policy somewhere and you know, I'd be happy with what I was happy that I was doing good things, but it wouldn't be like the best job ever. Yeah, um, And that I did manage to do it and like people like it and <laughs> care about it. And like it matters to them. And they write me like these, like, okay, a couple days ago while I was here, I got this note from this woman who said, you know, I'm, uh, uh, I have some physical disabilities and I'm on my own for the first time. Uh, I haven't lived on my own in, you know, 20 years or something. And so I, I really don't know how to cook. Um, but I got, I, ha- I got your cookbook and I'm really excited about it. And, uh, last night I made, I think she made the Mexican street corn. She said that she cried cause it was so delicious and she'd never just made something for herself that was so good. Wow! And we went back and forth a little bit and she was like, I'm eating oatmeal for the first time and I love it. And I just, I never could have predicted that, um, like I wanted to help people stretch their food budget and just you know feed themselves well, but what comes up consistently is how much it means to a lot of people that sort of someone cared and said you deserve to eat well, yeah, and that it's possible, yeah, it's and like like it means so much and it means a huge amount to me and I never thought that I would really be able to, I never imagined I could really get that across as yeah. well as as this.
0: You're doing it. You're actually the doing coolest, it. It's coolest. It's amazing. I
2: feel crazy lucky.
0: So Good and Cheap, the second edition comes out July 14th.
2: Yeah. You yeah. can
0: pre-order it on Amazon. Go to leannebrown.com and check it out. Now, you're going to have to stick around for just a few more minutes because we're going to do a part of the show that I really enjoy. Are you talking about the Fast 15? Very same. We should do that. <laughs> we should do that. We should do that right now. Okay. So now, um, it's, I don't know if you listen to the show. Don't say yes. If I don't want to know. <laughs> but at the end, with every one of our guests, we, uh, we do this thing at the end where we ask them 15 questions. The first 13 are the same questions for everybody. And then we ask two wild cards okay. tailored to your
2: interests. Ooh, okay.
0: okay so And the idea is, here's the, here's the hilarious part. When we conceived of this, Dawn was on the show. <laughs> and and so the word fast is kind of funny. oh my gosh, it's kind yeah. of hilarious. It's,
2: it's there was a lot of long pauses. <laughs> yeah, there might be some for me. Not as bad as Dawn, though. These I'll, are ultra.
0: I'll well, we've we've spent a half hour doing the fast fifteen <laughs> before with someone. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, but but they're simple. So so okay, here great, we go. Great, great, great. Fast fifteen with Leanne Brown. So it's like your instinct. Yeah.
2: Now fast I f- as possible.
0: I can already tell you the first question is going to stump you. Really? Yeah. What is your favorite food?
2: Ah, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Like pizza.
1: Really? Yeah, probably. Which is funny because that was. That's like so many people's. That was, no, but Adam, earlier in this conversation, and it was a throwaway line. And I remember it was saying, Dan was doing something and you were probably off in the corner eating <laughs> yeah. pizza. And that's just like, and of course, that is your favorite food. Oh. There you go. It
2: really is. Well, it's so great. I mean, I love making it at home. I love eating it out. But it also is... It's, you can put anything on it. It's like a great thing to just
0: It is a food delivery service. And really. related so to that. Delicious I have to also. tell I have to tell the pizza party story because when Leanne yeah, right. set, <laughs> when Leanne set out to do this Kickstarter, um, I was I'm so excited about it. I was I thought it was such a great idea and I wanted to I was like I I, I donated my Kickstarter stuff and then I was like, well, I, and I think I texted you, and I was like, you know what? If you exceed your goal, I will throw you a pizza That's party. That's right. I was
2: like, oh, Adam. And then you exceeded yeah. your goal, and I was like, ah, fuck. So I,
0: <laughs> so I texted Dan, and I was like, hey, man. I promise you a pizza party. Where do you guys like to get pizza in New York? And he told me. And I got the number, and I phoned them. And it was the it was weird. It was like a really weird conversation. I was like, I need, you, I need to give You're you my. They're probably like, where are you? Yeah, What's this number? I need yeah. to give you my credit card number. That has to be sufficient to pay for it. And then. There was a mix-up around getting it made and getting it and having people pick it up. But anyway, I threw Leanne a pizza. He party. He did. Long it was a long-distance pizza party, yes. no yes. Yeah, Dan.
2: Impressive. I came home and Dan was like, "Check it out!" <laughs> Bye. Pizza. Anyway, Yo, okay. It was great. So, number two,
0: <laughs> your favorite color? Uh,
2: green. I like a lot of colors. Fair yeah, enough.
0: Green. Uh, Mac, PC, or Linux? Mac. Dogs or cats?
2: Cats. Well, I have a cat. I like it a lot. But I like dogs too. I'm not like a really... You know, I'm a not c- a cat person. Fair enough.
0: What about uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. Uh, your favorite holiday?
2: Ooh. Used to be like Christmas, which I really... I still really like, but it's more hectic now because we come home and we have to sort of do so much. Yeah. But I love the... Winter cozy. Nothing to do but see people and like talk to each other. Stuff. Yeah,
0: that's yeah. awesome. Uh, favorite sport?
2: Hmm. I mean, I'm a runner, but the, I don't know if that's like a sport. Sure, kind of I love is, sure. biking.
0: You you recently ran a you ran a half marathon?
2: Yeah, I've done a few half marathons. I'm supposed to do the I'm signed up to do the New York Marathon this year wow. in November. So I'm going to, when I'm on book tour, be like, hey, Cleveland, what's the best place to run 20 kilometers?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And they'll be like, what's a kilometer? And you'll say, sorry. Exactly.
2: I I mean, 13 miles.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What about your favorite pastime?
2: Like favorite doing anything? Yeah. Probably just spending time with good friends. I think that's what I'm realizing. Being home on this trip, like being with Don and Sarah, I was like, holy crap, I miss you guys. (laughs) Like just people who know you well and you can talk to about Anything,
0: or just share an awkward silence? Yeah,
2: and ideally, there's food involved. Of course, awkward silence and food. Eating with friends. That's yeah. I think that's the truth. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: With food, there's never an awkward silence. You just you just have something in your mouth, so that's good. You can always make an excuse. Yeah. What about right now? Your favorite show to binge watch on Netflix, or show me? What am I watching right
2: now? Hmm. I was really into like anything that had uh, like mostly women and at least like 50 to 100 years ago for a while. Well, there was this hilarious show. I don't think it's on Canadian Netflix. It's like an Australian show. It's called like Miss Fisher's Mysteries or something. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's like 1920s like super um, flapper woman who's like sort of superhero-y almost like solving mysteries in Australia in the 1920s. Really fun. It, it sounds ridiculous. It is it ridiculous, sounds hilarious. but it was Really fun. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, what about your favorite movie? <laughs> She's making a face.
1: Like lately. It doesn't need to be your all-time
2: favorite. Yeah, yeah, favorite. yeah. I know, but like, it's those questions that are so hard. Yeah, um, and you don't want to
0: say the wrong thing.
2: Well, and it's like, what is the truth, actually? Like, I don't know yeah. what my favorite... Like, I don't have a thing that I'm like, I always want to watch. I don't really like to watch things over and over. I'd rather just watch something and be like, that was great, and <laughs> move on and watch another thing. Um What did I recently really enjoy? I mean, I really want to see Mad Max. I hear that's (sighs) going to be really awesome.
0: I'm hopefully going to see it. it Spoiler-free review. It's really good. Okay.
2: I know. That's what everyone says. So, how
0: about this? Leanne's favorite movie is Mad Max. Almost Mad Max. It It will be. Yeah. Yeah. What about a video game? Favorite video game?
2: Dragon Age Three. Easy.
0: That's right. (laughs) Uh, If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Flying. Good old flying. Yeah, I don't know. That's
2: simple, but like you get around. So fun.
1: So handy. I hear you.
0: Uh, okay, Star Wars or Star Trek? This is probably
1: the most important question by the way. For me. For um,
2: me it's the most important. I mean, I loved Star Wars when I was a kid, but I find now it's like whatever. <laughs> Whereas I could watch Star Trek. It's like very it's like a warm hug.
0: <laughs> I've never I've never heard anyone describe it that way, but I will accept that answer. Yeah. Now we're on to our two wild card questions. First one, <laughs> What do you think is the biggest barrier to people uh, cooking at home for themselves?
2: I think it's just what's in your brain, like how you feel about it. Because mm. people say time, they say um, they say expense, they say all kinds of things, but it's really just about your attitude. Like and a lot knowledge of as well. People might be intimidated by it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Huh. It seems like it's a scary thing, but like anyone can cook like not to sound like the rat from ratatouille or whatever but like it's so easy it really is so easy and it's so easy to be um very successful and to make something that's probably way better than something that you could buy mm-hmm. um so long as you sort of know what types of things to make um and that you can be open-minded like that's why you know people write to me like that woman wrote to me like she just never tried it before and it's <laughs> like mexican street corn the way you, so you like cook it in your oven and you put like a little bit of mayonnaise and parmesan cheese if you have it and cayenne pepperana like that's nothing. it. nothing like it's the easiest thing and it like meant so much to her that's and i awesome. think that that's just i don't know cooking is really easy and and uh and super satisfying
0: yes there's nothing better than eating something that you've made that's yeah. delicious
2: so i think that i mean time absolutely is an issue but i think uh, knowledge of what types of things you can do in a short period and kind of trusting yourself and knowing like, you know what, yeah, if I just do this 20 minutes, I'm going to have something great on the table. It's that experience that can lead you to to start to make it a habit. Mm. Um, whereas if you never kind of just give it a try, you're not going to ever be good at it. But if it's it's something you do every day, it starts to become shockingly easy and really you'll get so much better like if you compare you start to cook on a semi-regular basis even you compare the type of food that you're making a year previous you'll be like man i'm crushing it now like, like just <laughs> i barely a little bit, bit of practice beans. Yeah. yeah
0: and our last question i may have preempted this but 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 i'll ask it anyway what would you say is your ultimate goal with your work I mean, you told me that thing all yeah. those years ago, but but has it changed?
2: I it's guess. no, it really hasn't. It's I want people to, I want everyone to feel like I do that cooking is easy and it makes them feel good, and it's something that they can. I want everyone to feel just empowered by cooking and be able to cook absolutely for themselves, but also for the people that they love, and be able to get. Um, you know all the sort of peripheral joys out of it that mm-hmm. you know like I mentioned it's my favorite thing to do is to just eat with friends and I think there's something so satisfying about being able to eat uh, well um, something that brings you pleasure maybe it's the only piece of pleasure in your whole shitty day yeah um, or maybe it's uh, or it's something because it makes you feel stronger for your favorite sport or for just getting through your day um, there's it, Food just has so much, uh, so much power over our lives. And I think that like, if you are able to take control of that by being able to cook, you have, that's a superpower in a way. There you go. Yeah. Yeah.
0: MasterChef. <laughs> well, it was a pleasure to have you in the studio, Leanne. And well worth the wait, might I add. Yes, absolutely. Oh, thanks, guys. Thank yeah. you for coming to Edmonton and oh, to only talk to us. We,
2: <laughs> That's right. It was the number one.
0: We really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> so look up LeanneBrown.com. Uh, look up Good and Cheap on Amazon. And good luck with everything
2: that you're doing. Thank you.
1: You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, episode 117. Our guest, Leanne Brown... Pre production by Adam Rosenhart. Post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. Subscribe today at patreon.com slash unknownstudio. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening. To be fair, we did interview Josh Clawson once and talk about anything but weather.
0: Yeah, we talked about we talked about hip-hop. Yeah, because he is a huge fan of the hip-hop. He makes hip-hop. Well, he something
1: you don't know about the weather guy. Kind of. Things? Yeah. He's big into it. Hi- uh, we let him drop a track on our show. It was he, great.
0: He busted out some rhymes. Yeah. It was amazing.